Hello, everybody. This is Tim Green with Rattle Magazine. Welcome to Rattlecast number uh, 96. Uh, today's guest is Melissa Balmain. She'll be with us in uh, the top of the hour or the bottom of the hour. What do they call that? I think the bottom of the hour is the uh, halfway mark. Yeah, so she'll be there at the bottom of the hour. Uh, but before we begin, we're going to do Poets Respond Live. And uh, before we begin, too, I should say that Rattle is a publication of the Rattle Foundation, a 501c3 nonprofit working to promote the practice of poetry. We've been a continuous publication since 1995 and are unaffiliated with any other organization. We just do this because we love poetry, and I know you love poetry because you're spending your Sunday night with us. So please do click the like button. Make sure uh, you're subscribed. Make sure you uh, share this with your friends. Click on uh, something. Click on the bell for notifications. Whatever you're doing, you can click something. You know what to do. You know what the drill is. Um, now, we always start out with Poet Respond Live. And hopefully, Alex is here. Let's see. I'm going to call up today's poet, Alejandro Escudé, and uh, we'll see if he answers. Um, Alex's poem was House Calls, and uh, he's one of the poets who's uh, been, yeah, I don't think, yeah, he wasn't here. So let's see. Um, well, we will have to do it without him. So the poem today was House Calls, and um, it was about Dr. Anthony Fauci, and I don't know. I wanted to talk about this with, to Alex a little bit, but um, he doesn't seem to be there. So, um, Dr. Fauci, you know, as you know, in the news articles about that are coming around this week, um, his emails were released from the Washington Post, I think it was, who who um, got them through a FOIA request, and so people are digging through, sort of finding dirt on Dr. Fauci. And I'm not personally, you know, a fan of um, everything Dr. Fauci has done throughout the pandemic. But um, but it does. It's it's something um, it's sort of typical of the current like world we live in, the state of the world, where people are always looking through um, your emails, trying to find the dirt to, to confirm your suspicions. And um, so seeing Dr. Fauci go through that is what Alex was writing about. And um, here he says in this poem, I'll put this on screen so everybody can see. Um, Alex says in this poem, Dr. Anthony Fauci drives a green Ford Fairmont. And he's also an amalgam of Anthony Fauci and William Carlos Williams. He makes house calls, and he is swallowed up by the cherubdis of tongues. That's the, uh, one of the snake worm things uh, with tons of teeth ringing it, if, you've, if you're familiar with that image. Um, why is he swallowed up? Because that's what happens when people scrutinize your perfectly innocent emails looking for a smoking gun. Nobody knows what happened in that lab. Maybe there is no lab. Maybe it's just a cover for a money laundering operation. Or maybe it's a lab doing good work on behalf of humanity. Whatever the case, the instructor who led a class on how to operate that chalky IBM machine that afternoon in the basement of an electronics store on Santa Monica Boulevard was a wonderful man and made an impression on me. And so Alejandro Escudero has appeared in many... Um, times in Poets Respond, and he has a, a style of writing that is just so um, image-rich and imaginative, and, and we always love his takes. He submits a poem pretty much every week. It's like part of his uh, weekly routine, I would say, and so we've published a whole bunch of these poems. You know what? I'm gonna, I think I'm just going to call. Hang on a second. Let's see. So here we go. I won't say it out loud while I'm typing it, but I'm going to call him up on the phone since uh, Skype wasn't working for him. Hey, Alex, you're live on the air. How you doing? Oh, pretty good, pretty good. Thanks for calling. <laughs> yeah, no problem. I completely like spaced out and forgot that I could just call you on the phone for a second. Um, <laughs> okay, yeah. But uh, yeah, so yeah, so, for some reason I'm having issues. <laughs> yeah, no problem at all. So, um, so what can you say about this poem? What inspired you to write it? 
Um, I think just the reading about uh, Fauci's response to people and or, you know, and how he was saying this is just ridiculous. And I just thought it was interesting that some of his emails are pretty much what we've all said (laughs) (laughs) at some point. (laughs) Yeah, it's weird because I I was saying it before, like I've sort of um, not been happy with with some of the things he's done, some of the decisions he's made Mm -hmm. throughout the pandemic. But but actually reading his emails, like really humanized and personalized it for me in a way where I felt sorry for him for the first, I think at the very beginning, I felt sorry for him. Then he started to do some things like with remdesivir that I didn't like and and things like that, that I Mm -hmm. was kind of scratching my head over. And, um, and yeah. you know, flip-flopping on things and not trusting the public, you know. But yeah. then reading his emails and seeing just the sort of human reality behind it and the mess and the, the massive mess that it was, it really was humanizing yeah. for me. It had the opposite effect of um, his critics want to have right now. Yeah. No, I just, I think I, when I defend somebody, I'm looking at a very narrow thing. Mm-hmm. So it's not like I love Anthony Fauci. I'm just relating to being attacked for doing your job. Yeah. And um, and basically um, a whole lot of people putting a lot of responsibility on you uh, and while they wouldn't be able to do, you know, a quarter of what you do. So, you know, it, it, it's sort of like, you know, shut up. That's all we had. You know, we had him. Um, so that kind of thing is, is it kind of kind of strikes me. Yeah. Yeah, for yeah. sure. And, and yeah. where did this um, I imagine that this like like there's like three things like braided through here. Um, mm-hmm. And where did that come from? I, I imagine it, I, I, it felt to me like it was a real dream. But um, yeah, <laughs> I don't know, where, where was the where was the inspiration for this poem? You know, just a free association. You know, and um, I think the connection between the IBM class and Fauci, and then even William Carlos Williams is this sort of feeling of wanting to get back to beyond post pandemic normal, but normal that we once knew. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so I think this, the poem is nostalgic. You know, it's, I wish we could get back to when we had the personal computer, right? As opposed to what we have now, which is just this weird, you know, kind of, uh, you know, Armageddon, um, you know, e-world, electronic world. Um, so just where it was very focused and uh, you were just sitting there with that computer. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I wrote my first poems, you know, on a on a computer like this and, you know, without any, obviously without any internet or anything like that. So I think it was just kind of um, trying to hearken back to a time when, you know, less, less crazy than today. Just simple as that, you know? (laughs) And then he reminded me, uh, Fauci reminded me, I think somewhere in my subconscious, he he reminded me of William Carlos Williams. I I saw William Carlos Williams in a video where he's talking to a patient And he had the same mannerisms, you know, and the same uh, persona uh, as Fauci. So they were, he, you know, it was just sort of a doctor type look, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's a wonderful video if you can find it. It's uh, it just shows him talking to a a, a a woman patient, and he was, and she's, you know, he's saying just do this and just do that. And then he walks away. He's very busy. <laughs> That's <laughs> interesting. That was, yeah. That I've the... never seen that. Or, yeah. I've never, I don't even know what he looks like. I've never seen a picture of even a still of William yeah. Williams. I don't think. Yeah. No. And you get a little snapshot of what, mm-hmm. I mean, he's in his clinic, mm-hmm. you know, and yeah. then uh, you, uh, you can, even, I think at one point you can even hear his secretary say, Dr. Williams, you know, and he's like, I'll handle it, you know? <laughs> um, so it's a snapshot of his life for real. And, you know, in, 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 in who, who he was. So 
um, it reminded me of of Darker Fauci, uh, just the, just the look. I yeah, think. yeah, that's really interesting. Yeah, and as yeah. you know, letting your your brain go where it wants to go is uh, is something uh, you're good at, and that that poetry requires. So I'm glad you did this. This is a strange, yeah. a strange combination of things for for being in a poem. But why don't you go ahead and read this? House calls. <laughs> okay, house calls. All I see are tongues licking walls made of tongues over streets of tongues watched by tongue cameras and tongue satellites. A lot of yous, but no people. Just dressed up yous in masks, masks on the ground, swirling in the wind, picked up like pollen seeds. As a kid, we called it the personal computer, and I remember going to a class put on by IBM. The teacher was a man with an afro and a, with a, and a big tie, wearing a name tag that read IBM above his name. I hadn't heard the word enter used as much in my life before. Then you hit enter, he'd say. I sat there in my boy, boy body, clacking the keys, and he'd smile down at me and say, you got it, Alex. And I'd feel so good about myself for entering those big green characters into the screen as if something were happening besides blackmail banter one hears these days. Tongues and tongues and tongues. The attacks. Tank tongues. Missile tongues. Brutal. Anonymous. Tongues encircling Dr. Fauci dragging him down into a quicksand of tongues. And he, the good doctor, showing up at everyone's door with a leather bag, a stethoscope. And every window is New Jersey in the 80s. His green Fairmont parked out front, and sunlight forms patches on the walls in the shape of poetry. Really cool poem. Thanks for writing that and sharing that, as always, Alex. Thanks, Tim. I appreciate it. Thanks for calling. Yeah, definitely. Glad we could connect, after all. Uh, Yeah, good thing. (laughs) Okay. Take care. That was Alejandro Escudet with a house call. Today's poem on uh, Poets Respond. And um, now I thought we would um, go back in time and look at some poems from the past, which is always fun to do. And I went back to June 8th, um, seven years ago, 2014, and who appeared but none other than Alejandro Escudet. And um, a really brief, this was the second poem in Poets Respond. So Alejandro's been in, on, on Poetry Respond a lot. He has his his books. He was on Rattlecast number, um, I don't know what number. It was around like the 40s. And um, his uh, his most recent book is all is full of news poems because he submits to news, uh, Poetry Respond every week pretty much. And um, the, he did the second poem too. I didn't even remember or realize. But uh, this was about an anniversary of uh, the landing of uh, on the beach at Normandy, which was today. And um, he says, this is a response to the anniversary of the Normandy landings in World War II. I heard an interview with a vet that just wrecked me for a while. Let me see if the link is still active. Yeah, this was the D-Day vet. D-Day vet. I don't want to be a hero for anybody. Was um, this article here that uh, Alejandro was responding to. And um, this was his poem from uh, June 8th, 2014. The Other Me. Here we go. The Other Me. The D-Day vet says he never left me. About the German he killed. After arriving by sea. Emptying his bullets upon the pillbox. He said, I see his arms raising. Then his falling off. Could it be that blood is too red to spill willingly? That one must be mad to do it sanely. He says he learned in a museum to forgive himself, to let him go, what the Nazis did. 
Otherwise, he'd still be holding on to him, his enemy, the man he shot dead, whom he called his other me. Yeah, what a thing to, to think about, you know, going through all of life with that other me hanging in the background. There was the other me, and a poem from uh, 2014 by Alejandro Escudé. Um, and now let's go up to the open lines, or uh, the Poetry Respond Live lines, I should say, and how you do it if you don't know, and there'll be open lines after we talk to Melissa Balmain at the bottom of the hour, but uh, we'll get a few, maybe one or two people right now. The What you do is email to openmic at rattle.com if you haven't yet, so email your poem there first so I can show it on the screen, and then what you have to do is a pick, either call by phone or by Skype. By Skype, it's Rattle Poetry, all one word. By phone, it's 818-850-7727. Uh, by Skype, just send me a chat message and I'll call you. By phone, it, uh, let it ring a few times, then hang up and I will call you back. Um, and I'm going to, let's see, let's go first to this. Somebody just called, and I don't know if it is a um, Poet Respond poet or uh, if it's the open lines for later, but we'll see. This is a, a 202 number. It's always fun having the first-time callers. This is Jonathan. Hey, this is Tim with Rattle, and you are live on the air. Um, Jonathan who? Jonathan Katz in Tacoma Park, Maryland. Ah, great, Jonathan. Thanks. I guess I didn't put you in the phone book before. Um, but you had a poem. Actually, this, uh, the Cicada poem. Is that what you wanted to read? That's right. Uh-huh. Excellent. And so uh, just talk a little bit about what, uh, what inspired this poem and, and why write about cicadas. We are submerged every 17 years uh, along the East Coast, uh, but from, you know, from Florida to Maine, mm-hmm. um, and then other places around the world with these blooms of, of, of insects that are like salmon. You know, they, they, they uh, mate and die, and they do it in large numbers, and they, they sound like a, like a car alarm. Yeah, it's, they sound very industrial. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Um, and, and they just... They just uh, they surround you, and, and uh, they, they, they do it until they're done. Yeah, I've never experienced that, actually. We didn't have them. I was too far north, I guess, when I was on the East Coast, and we don't have them here. Um, it's interesting. They sound mechanical. Um, but let's hear this. And, oh, where are you, I should say, too? You're in uh, Tacoma Park, Maryland? I'm in Tacoma I'm, I'm in uh, Maryland, just out four blocks over the D.C. line. Uh-huh. Ah, and they're all over D.C., too, I guess, huh? They are, they are, they're, in, they're in trees, mm-hmm. and they're in... And they're in they're on leaves and and they they hang from things and you see and they and they they leave their carapaces you know they 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 grab onto something and then then they scooch their bodies out from within this within the shell and so there's there's i've written lots of poems about um you know these these different uh the 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 symbolism of leaving a shell behind Mm -hmm. this is not one of but um but it's you know it's just it's just so rich because it it envelops you in this cycle you know, and there's no, there's no escaping it, and it, and it comes out of you from the woods, and it comes out of you from your bushes, and it comes out of you from the ground around you, and then it carpets everything because there's so many of them. Yeah, that is, that is so cool. I, I'm very jealous as I hear that. I wish, you know, I love walking through the woods. I wish that we had cicadas here. Although maybe the cleanup might be something that, <laughs> that might be difficult. Well, right, all those shells, or they just, they just disintegrate away. Well, um, they. they Sometimes they hang on for years because they're on your screens. You know, mm. they grab onto something, and, and then they and then they leave they leave the carapace behind. And then, and when they they um, they are related distantly to shrimp, so they are a source of protein. And in certain countries like Madagascar, they are they are a staple 
every, every so often. And they develop you know, certain kinds of that you can get out you know more than every 17 years. But they're they're rich in protein and you, they they're crunchy. You just have to watch out for the wings. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and don't eat them if you have a fish allergy or seafood allergy. I heard that in some article. Um, but uh, so go ahead. Let's hear this. This is still life of spring with cicadas. I'll put it up on screen for everybody. Go ahead and read it. Okay. First of all, she had just turned on the air conditioning, so the summer freeze was rolling in. I could forget about those short sleeve shirts because the frigid house would play the global warming to a standstill. It would be as if those calving icebergs shifted and reversed, jumped back and up to once again adhere a solid sheet along the slope. She said it seemed to start right then, their god-awful racket, poison in the air, poison in the ear, and love can be a skinny root in shallow soil. Someone said those insects sound like sad metallic gears that shriek for oil. Someone else said fingernails scraping. Another said, my driveway is a cloud's eye view of bodies. It's the charge of the light brigade in my driveway. I was reminded of a guy in a bar in Kansas who said he didn't know whether to shoot or go blind. And she said, there they are. You can hear them singing if you listen. And I did. And they were. Really cool poem. Thanks for sharing that, Jonathan. That was uh, Still Life of yeah. Spring with Cicadas. Thanks, Jonathan. Bye. Bye. That was Jonathan Katz, uh, just outside of Washington, D.C., with Still Life of Spring and Cicadas. And let me, um, let me call up. Uh, let's see what Richard Westheimer has. Hey, Richard, good to see you. Hey, Tim. I haven't seen you for a week. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, um, uh, how, how is it going with getting folks uh, rescheduled on, uh, on, your, on your new platform? Um, it looks like it's going well. I think everybody... Oh, you mean the email, the email list. Yeah. Yeah, actually, we, um, we are up to like 5,000 people signed up. Wow. So, so that's pretty good for a week worth of trying to remind people. And for so what... what um, Richard's talking about is we've had this email list uh, that was a daily poem. It's generated uh, by RSS. So it just automatically comes out when we make a post every day with a poem. And um, Google FeedBurner is what drove it uh, for the last 12 years, I believe. And um, Google, it's always had problems. Google doesn't make any money off it. I think they originally thought they might find a way to monetize it, but never did. So um, they've never really upgraded the infrastructure. And, uh, and after after 13 years of that being in business, they are canceling it. So we had to switch. We, and we had up to, I think we had 12,000 people who had signed up, or maybe 13, actually. Um, but, of course, a lot of those people are old names, that old email addresses and things, and people signed up with five different email addresses. So who knows how many it really was. But uh, So I'm trying to move everybody over. And if you go to rattle.com slash sign up, um, you just type your email address and get the poem every morning by email. And uh, So go ahead and do that if, if you haven't yet. So thanks for the reminder for pointing that out, Richard. I appreciate it. Well, as the person who got caught a couple times in the feed burner trap. Uh, <laughs> yeah. um, oh, good. Well, I have a, I have a, um, a poem from a couple weeks ago. Now, which one uh, was it that you wanted to do? It, yeah, and I, I emailed it to you. Oh, uh, okay. When so I see here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and briefly, the news story is, is that things are cooking at Chernobyl. Oh, I saw that, but didn't I didn't want to look look any deeper. <laughs> it's uh, very very briefly they put a, a water containment over the um, over the containment vessel, 
And the result has been because it's now dry, there's no water dampening the uh, reactions Mm -hmm. that are that are slowly building up. And um, uh, basically, there's little evidence of fission surging in this inaccessible chamber, they can't get to Mm -hmm. it. Yeah, that's that's uh, did you see that documentary or not documentary, but the HBO (laughs) Chernobyl? uh, I, I have not, but uh, after I read this poem to somebody, they recommended yeah, it. It was uh, so good. It was one of the best. Uh, I mean, it was terrifying, but, but very good. Yeah. Um, well, why don't you go ahead and read this? Uh, when fission okay. surges in an inaccessible chamber. That when fission surges in an inaccessible chamber, that first argument we had, our wedding week, you volunteered to respond to calls at a rape crisis center. I melted down yelled at you about all those toxic vibes you'd absorb, how they'd afflict the baby you carried, our baby. But really, I can tell you now, I was afraid for me that you'd meet women who knew what sits at the heart of every man, or at least in me. They'd warn you that all men are not quite stabilized reactors, nuclear, smoldering at our core. And though I am okay now, They would have been right then. Every new fight we had was fired by that fission, surged until some out of control, some control rod snapped. All the jam cracking door slams, the late night explosions. These were the reactive material of me thirsting when you needed sleep for our bodies to be twined. I was lust blind, a chain reaction breaking containment. Now the once barren fallout zone around us, um, too hot to touch so many times, is a greening field, warm enough for growing things, fissile enough to stoke welcomed fires. Excellent. Yeah, another good poem, Richard. You're really on a roll lately with the poems. Uh, that was when fission surges in an inaccessible chamber. Thanks for calling in and sharing it. Yeah, thanks, Tim. Yeah, and if you, if you want to call in, if you have something else for later tonight, too, feel free then. Okay, will do. Okay, Bye. Take care. Yeah, it was Richard Westheimer with... Uh, with another poet respond poem let's see we got two minutes maybe i will share this one this is um let's see how many minutes yeah let's do it really quick this is uh, a year ago today of course the uh, george floyd's death was only a year and a week ago and uh, so a bunch of the poems right now at this time last year were about um, the death of george floyd and the protests uh in the wake of that and uh, the poem from exactly one year ago uh, was Prince Bush's middle of protesting. And let's just uh, let's just play. Actually, I'll read what he says first. He says, tear gas is being used against peaceful protesters, and it can cause PTSD. And there's, of course, an article about tear gas being used on protesters. And uh, we have two minutes left, and it's perfect timing. So uh, here we go. This is Prince Bush reading Middle of Protesting. Middle of Protesting. It's curfew near J. Percy Priest. Damn. And the tear gas butchers cracks down the convex close to cresting due to thermal stress. My eyes kindle with milk coolant. All I need is regard to water. The hurts polysyllabic, so I call them CN and CS gases for short. The second of which forces my eyes closed. Solution, make me want to breathe for five minutes and I'll open them. I tell the state I'm going home, but I forgot I'd need a detour with all the bridges I knew broken and reconstructed with brown violence 
tanks through the welts on my torso, brown violet, vice versa, if I sting, a red onion with a knife, pickle it with household vinegar or acetic acid, that would cause tears, and lacrimators would esteem the complex. Thus, I attempt eating opposite ingredients with the fork, table, and chair melting. I've yet to find a reusable mask, and now it needs a charcoal filter. The things thrown at me first organic, then synthetic solid, liquid, and fog. And that was uh, taking it back a year in time with Prince... Prince Bush with Middle of Protesting from June 6th, 2020. That was the uh, Poet Respond poem of the day back then. And now we're going to go on to our featured guest today. Um, And as I mentioned before, the guest is Melissa Balmain. And uh, Melissa Balmain is uh, the author of a bunch of books. And uh, The Witch Demands, a retraction, is her most recent. Um, I'm going to put on a little music. And uh, I'll join you in just a moment uh, after I connect with Melissa. And we're back. Uh, Thanks so much for your patience. We're here with uh, Melissa Balmain. And uh, Melissa Balmain, we have a poem of hers coming out uh, in the winter issue, which she'll, she'll be reading from, with an image, too. Um, she's also the editor of Light Poetry Magazine, which is uh, really the premier poetry uh, magazine for, for light verse in the country. Um, Melissa Balmain's a humorist, journalist, and teacher. Since 2012, she has edited Light, the country's longest-running journal of light verse, founded in 1992 by John Mella. Balmain's poems have appeared all over the place, The American Bystander, American Life and Poetry, Poetry Daily, The Washington Post, and many anthologies. Her prose has been in The New Yorker, The New York Times, McSweeney's, including just last Friday. Um, she's a former columnist for Success Magazine and other publications, and is author of the memoir Just Us, Adventures of a Mother and Daughter from Faber and Faber. She teaches at the University of Rochester, my old home college, and lives nearby with her husband and two children. Uh, her poetry collection, we have two that we're going to be looking at today. Walking In on People was chosen by X.J. Kennedy for the Able Muse Book Award. And her newest collection, uh, The Witch Demands of Retraction, is really interesting. Uh, fairy tale reboots for adults, illustrated by Ron Barrett from Humorous Books. And here she is, Melissa Balmain. Hey, Melissa, how you doing? I am doing great, thank you. It's been, it's been a lovely day during what a good friend of mine calls clapping season where all the parents go to all the recitals and other performances of their kids. So um, I am beaming from my daughter's lovely piano recital. Um, oh, very so cool. that, was, that was very nice lead into this. Yeah. And, and graduation too, right? Like isn't things, everybody's graduating and doing everything. Yeah. I had a graduate a few weeks ago. My son graduated from college. So it's been, it's been a really exciting spring. Yeah. Well, do you want to start us out with a poem? What do you want to start with? Um, well, I thought I would start with one from um, from walking in on people. Um, Fluffy weighs in on the baby um, because it illustrates one of the the things that we'll maybe be talking about later, um, as far as my poems go and other people's poems. And also, I tried to read this on another reading recently. We got Zoom bombed, oh, so really? I never finished it. So everyone who like wondered that ended oddly. 
that really was a bad ending. That's because it was it was cut off. So, I mean, maybe you'll still hate it, but at least you'll hear the whole thing. <laughs> okay, so, go ahead. Um, all right. So this is this is a poem for um, that may ring bells for anyone who has either ever had a baby, um, or anyone especially who's had a baby while having a pet in the house. Okay. And I think the speaker will be obvious. It's a persona poem. Fluffy weighs in on the baby. It's hairless as an egg. Why bother petting that? It doesn't purr or groom your leg, and yet you feed the brat. Instead of catching mice, it grapples with its socks. It's never taken my advice to use the litter box. It can't climb up a tree. It can't chase balls of string. It leaves you zero time for me. Just eat the wretched thing. And there's another example of uh, the dark humor that runs throughout this book. Uh, Fluffy weighs in <laughs> on the baby. Um, so yeah, so this is Walking In on People, poems uh, from Abel Muse Press. And, um, and, and that really sets up perfectly like what, what you do with poetry, which is, I, I think you, do you write exclusively like humor and dark humor and, and light verse? Or do you write other? No, I, I sometimes write other stories. In fact, you've published um, at least one of my like not overtly humorous poems. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, I do tend toward um, the lighter approach to sometimes very dark material, um, sometimes less dark material. Yeah, but yeah. I, I tend to try to find the humor in things. So, so what do you think that the is it that draws you to that? How come um, you end up being a humorist? I well, I, I think I've said this this to you before um, when I was on Rattlecast a few months ago. I think I'm just wired this way. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I tend to gravitate toward um, you know the absurd and um, you know just weird little moments that are revelatory of human nature and society and that kind of thing. Um, so it is, it is, you know, an inborn thing, but also sometimes I think it's, it's more of an almost deliberate coping mechanism. Certainly in the last year, I know I am not alone among poets, um, in finding that, um, writing was a way to get through. And for me, um, because of that wiring, you know, also, um, try and find the humor in things that are just not obviously hilarious. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, so, um, yeah. so, so maybe just talk a little bit about your, your background. How did you end up being a writer? Did you write poems when you were young? Did you come to it later? Um, did you always want to be a writer? Um, it, it, was there something that like unlocked it for you? Wow. Um, let's see. Uh, I did start writing very young. Um, and I remember writing, um, at least one soulful, you know, I am alone at night, it is cloudy kind of poems. Um, but most of the things I remember writing um, as a kid, uh, even then, um, tended toward um, finding the humor in things. Um, I remember that I did a lot of um, poetic parodies, um, song parodies, which um, those of you listening who write comic poetry probably know that's like the gateway drug to writing other forms of light verse. Um, and I often assign parody uh, to my humor writing students um, because it is a nice, fun way in. Um, so I did a lot of that. I also wrote a lot of fiction. Um, and, uh, and then I became a, a journalist. Um, and surprise, one of my main specialties is a journalist. I did a lot of different things um, uh, as a journalist, but I did tend to 
write feature stories that were along humorous lines. I became a columnist um, for a variety of publications. And again, um, tending to find, um, you know, humor in life um, and, and writing about that. Yeah. Well, I think that the main topic we want to talk about throughout this whole episode is humor. But uh, why don't you read another poem just to sort of keep it rolling and, and have more examples, and then we'll talk more about it. Okay. Um, well, how about, so So we just heard, um, you know, a persona poem from the point of view of a cat. Um, and uh, writing persona poems is um, a passion of mine. I really enjoy it. I wrote recently in um, Robin Helvig Larson's blog that um, I think it's because I'm like a, a failed method actor. So, you know, I'm, and not that I was ever a professional actor, but you know, it's sort of like, this is my way of acting, um, inhabiting other people. In my new book, I get to do this a lot because um, in, I don't know if you can see this very well, um, uh, the Witch Demands a Retraction. It's a whole bunch of fairy tale retellings for adults. I hasten to say for adults um, because it has these charming, wonderful, you know, hilarious uh, illustrations by the uh, illustrator Ron Barrett. Um, and he's done a lot of things for children as well. So I would not want to mislead you. Okay. So anyway, I've got poems um, uh, that are retellings of fairy tales. And for the most part, they are from the perspective of a character from a fairy tale, not necessarily the one whose perspective um, predominates in the, in the versions that we're more familiar with. Um, so I'll start with um, the first poem in the book, um, which is called Fed Up. Yeah, um, I'll put it on screen as you read for everybody oh, so they can, awesome. they can see okay. the pictures and stuff, yeah. Yeah, you're gonna do that, okay. So, um, Fed Up. Red Riding Hood's grandma had chest pains galore cholesterol looming at 244 and blood pressure spikes. Though she kept it all quiet, her daughter found out and imposed a strict diet. No more would she bundle red off with a pail of cookies for granny. Instead, she sent kale and casseroles ranging from foul to insipid because she had stripped them of every known lipid. One day red arrived to find granny in bed. Come closer, my dumpling, the dowager said. Forget the lame cover-up tale that came later. No wolf gobbled red. It was Granny who ate her. <laughs> and that was a fed up. And I mean, look at these great illustrations too in this book. I mean, I, I, I uh, when I read this uh, earlier today, I thought, well, I'm gonna have to hide this because because <laughs> my my six-year-old son is gonna see this and think it's cool. And oh. then the the poems. I mean, there's some stuff. I mean, it's for adults for sure. <laughs> I mean, a lot of it would go over younger kids' heads mm -hmm. completely, I'm sure. Yeah, um, well, he's pretty quick. I don't know. I think he might get some of the stuff a little too well. So, um, it, But it's, a, it's such an interesting thing to do a book in this way, uh, a book of poems um, with an illustrator and, and having the look of a children's book. Um, is that something I've never seen that really done before? Is that something that, that you have any kind of model of that anybody's done? Because I've never really seen well, it. Well, I mean, there are a few books. Okay, there's, I don't know what words I'm allowed to say on YouTube and Facebook. You can Facebook. say whatever you want. It doesn't matter. Okay, well, Go the Fuck to Sleep is a parody of, uh, you know, a very familiar book for children that has become a bestseller for adults. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I think I saw, like isn't there a video of, um, um, what's his name, the actor um, from Pulp Fiction? Oh, really? Is there I a haven't, video I of him reading it? it? I think there is. Oh, uh, that's great. Yeah. yeah, that would be perfect. Um, so, I mean, that's, that's an example of something that, you know, um, 
kind of has this fun disconnect between appearance and, you know, sound. Although I will say that even though this might sort of, my book might look like a book for kids, it's so witty. Like it's got touches that are also for adults, like details you would only notice if you were an adult, I think. Mm -hmm. um, but so that's one model. Um, I mean, there are a few, uh, there, there are other books out there that are kind of like, they're for kids, but they're really for adults. Um, this is the only one that I'm aware of um, having to do with fairy tales. Um, there were these things um, when I was very little, um, uh, and some of you out there may have uh, seen them, you know, fractured fairy tales, uh, retellings of fairy tales, um, uh, but they were not A, in verse, and um, B, not necessarily for adults. Um, so, uh, you know, I felt like I had this niche to expand in. Um, so, um, so there wasn't a specific role model for the book, but you know, there are examples out there where, you know, I had the feeling there might be readers for it. So, yeah. yeah and what does humorous books usually publish? Um, um they, funny books. Mm -hmm. So, uh, they, they're a relatively new publisher. Um, they put out a lot of good stuff though. Um, and they have a website, I think it's humoristbooks.com. Um, I believe that's correct. Um, maybe you can put it in the chat if you're able to find it. Yeah, it's um, not usually they're at the back of the book, but it's not on the back of this one. Oh, so really? We'll find yeah. it somewhere, though. Okay. It's at the very bottom on the back next to the the uh, barcode. I think you see it really teeny. Um, but, yeah, it's not the website. Anyway, um, they've published, um, you know, I don't know, maybe a dozen, 20 books, something like that. Um, and they've got, actually, they have a reading coming up. Um, maybe I can stick that in the chat later to a few of us who have new books out with them. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, they do um, humorous fiction, nonfiction, and light verse. Um, so uh, that's their bag, and um, it has so far been a very nice fit. Yeah, that's really interesting. I, I wonder how, like, like what, I'm very curious about what the market is and, and if, it, if they'll sell better than like a regular poetry book or not. Like it's, uh, I don't know. I wonder how it works. I'm going to be very, very rich. <laughs> well, I hope so. I really do. Um, <laughs> um, so let's talk a little bit about humor. You teach humor and, mm -hmm. um, and humor in poetry is always so fascinating to me. I think we talked about this a little bit before, but I, I always feel like um, it's so easy to be funny at an open mic. Like when you're, you know, you're standing up in front of people at a poetry reading especially because uh, at a poetry reading everyone's sort of primed not to know what to expect and there's a sort of like nervous feeling and there's like this um you know the sense of like austerity and stuff and so if anything funny happens like everybody's cued in for like audience reactions and so one little laugh it's so easy to get laughs yeah, um yeah. at a reading but then so hard to get laughs just reading on the page without all of that like timing and the cues and the facial expression and the voice changes and things like that that a, that a co comic does and that we all kind of do naturally even like a non-funny good good at it person like me i still do some kind of timing you know where it's you can still get people to laugh but in a poem where it's just the person in the page and little squiggles on a sheet of paper how mm -hmm. do you approach making a poem funny so, so I feel like we're getting into like, you know, the humor rating territory that I teach. Um, and so part of it is um, some, some um, keys to humor writing. Um, and I'm sure many people watching this already know a lot about humor writing, um, especially if some of the funny poets I know and have invited to come are listening. Um, but, um, you know, first of all, uh, you know, something that's funny tends to stem from truth. 
there's got to be something true in it about society, about human nature, um, life in general, right? There's got to be something like that. There needs to be a clear target or point of view. It can't be all over the place. You have to kind of know what this poem is about um, and keep your material focused on that thing. You know, and this, these are my opinions, you know. Um, concision, you'd never want your reader to get to the punchline or, you know, guess the punchline before you get there, you know. You want them to be surprised by that. And that's um, a huge element of surprise, right? Mm -hmm. um, your, your reader needs to be surprised um, in some way by, by the poem. Um, and then, you know, things that are just generally true for all good writing, um, general facility with the language, fresh, fresh words, no cliches, um, the right verb, the right noun, all that kind of stuff. Um, am I getting at what you wanted to know? Or is there something, I mean, that you were asking about, you know, being funny on the page versus on the stage. And I mean, I guess it's sort of obvious that, you know, you got to do it with your words. You can't do it with your voice. You can't do it with your crazy expressions and gestures and props. Um, and so, you know, that's something my students and I will talk about is like, how do you get that feel? Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, there can be sort of capitalization tricks, punctuation tricks that can give you senses of, of stress and pause. Um, but, you know, it's also about just pacing of phrases, lines, paragraphs, all that kind of stuff. Um, so, um, and we do, I mean, it's funny that you're setting up this, you know, um, you know, con contrast between, you know, being stand-up or performing versus um, writing, because they're, even though they are very different, there's a lot of um, things that everybody can learn from other forms of humor writing. So with my humor writing students at the University of Rochester, I show a lot of stand-up clips, um, sitcom clips, all kinds of stuff. Um, that, you know, will illustrate techniques that can help you make writing funnier, you know, like um, the time-honored rule of threes, uh, things like that, you know, uses of exaggeration versus realism. There are so many things that we can learn um, uh, from other forms of writing. Um, what what is that rule of three? I'm familiar with the rule of three in art, where it's like you want, you don't want two things because then people compare them in a weird way, and you want three like if you're on a canvas or something, you want to divide it into the thirds, which is the rule of three, right? So, uh, so wh what is the rule of three in comedy, though? The idea is that usually um, with a joke, and again, all rules of comedy are meant to be broken, right? And that can often lead to the surprise that we were talking about. Um, but um, there is this natural um, pleasure we get from a group of three. So there will be like one thing that will set up the joke, then another example, and then something that breaks that pattern that's beginning to form. Um, and we just, I don't know why we are naturally drawn to threes, but it is, it is, it is true. And in fact, it's so true that in my own writing, and I've seen this in, in my students writing too, you can get trapped in doing too many threes. And then you're like, oh my God, I have trios all over this page. There's too many trios, you know? Yeah, that's um, I guess because, you know, two point, you need two points to make a line and you need a line to be able to predict where the next point is going to be. And so you need two, but if you kept doing it over and over again, it wouldn't be interesting. You get bored. So yeah. it is kind of the perfect thing. Yeah. You know, you, you, you set up an expectation with two and then you break it with the third. Mm -hmm. um, so that, that does make a lot of sense. And I, I've just always been, I don't know how to put it together, but there's something about humor and comedy 
that has so much to do with poetry in general. Because poetry is kind of a, a, a magic spell, I always say. It's like a transformational way of speaking that mm-hmm. takes you from one state to another. And, and if you think of the setup of a, of a joke, you know, there's usually the setup and the punchline. And the thing that makes it funny is that the, the setup changes the, the punchline, you know? So you think it's one thing and then it's another. And, and that, and yes. that, exactly. And that change is the same thing that like if we're critiquing a poem in a workshop, we'll say, well, this poem didn't go anywhere. It's kind of like all setup is what we mean but without that shift of, of consciousness that changes your state. And then when you, when you have that state where something shifts inside of you from reading or hearing something, you have like a physiological reaction, which is like laughter when it's humor. But then in poetry, there's that like little buzzy feeling that, you know, the top of your head taken off that Emily Dickinson and all the things, which is a more serious side, but there's something, there's some way that it's like the same thing, even though it's a different thing. Do you have mm-hmm. any thoughts on on that? Um, well, I mean, I think maybe what you're getting at, and I, I may be, um, you know, going off on the wrong tangent, stop me. No, go, go every but, tangents are, are um, highly recommended. So. I mean, maybe what you're, what, what, what this makes me think of is um, that, uh, you know, so-called light verse can be about very dark things. Um, and this is, this has been true ever since people have been writing, you know, funny poems. Um, and, uh, you know, I think that um, it can be a way of getting people to see something in a new way or pay attention to something dark um, without you know, without them wanting to run away. It's like a spoonful of sugar makes the hard truth go down. Um, and so, um, you know, part of what will make the top of my head come off when I'm reading a good piece of, of light verse that's about something serious is that, um, A, it's just the surprise that you expect in any good piece of writing. Um, and B, it's that they found humor in something that I would never have thought could be funny, mm-hmm. you know. Dorothy Parker on suicide, you know, that's not an obviously uh, a laugh out loud topic. Um, and yet she manages now this is not and there, there's many kinds of laughter, right? Just as there are many kinds of, of so called light verse, um, you know, everything from slapping your thigh, guffawing laughter to the warm chuckle, um, to the wry smile, you know, so um, there's there's all these different kinds. Um, but, um, you know, anyone who can find any sort of humor in a dark topic. Um, I think that's a way of getting people to think about that. Um, yeah. And I think, I mean, I think there's something to do with, um, truth. Uh, you mentioned truth. It has to be true earlier, but I think there's some kind of way that truth resonates. And when it's like taboo truth, it's like funny, you know, and when it's, and when it's undiscovered truth, you get that like, Oh, like little buzzy, whatever, where people, you know, the reading are like, Oh, you know, (laughs) Yeah, and and yeah. I think that they're very related because they're both somehow like the brain realizing a truth. And then you get like a little dopamine reward or something for a new discovery of meaning in, in your life or, or something. I think that that, that seems to me that somehow what, what combines comedy and, and poetry and makes them so similar. Um, and That's so a great, great way to put it. Yeah. And, and so, so um, yeah. So do you want to read another poem? Sure. Um, so I had all these persona poems lined up. I don't want to get like, you know, too bogged down in doing one kind of, of poem. So we could come back to that also. Yeah, sure. Um, but um, I feel like since we've been talking about writing uh, about 
things that are actually quite upsetting in a humorous way. Maybe this is a good time for me to move into um, a poem or two that um, I wrote uh, in response to the pandemic. Um, and the American Bystander is a wonderful humor magazine um, that's run a lot of my um, stuff uh, that's jumping off of the pandemic. Um, and the first one that I'll share, um, this was earlier in the pandemic, knock wood. This is a situation that is becoming less prevalent right now. Um, however, it will probably still be very familiar to anybody who took a lot of walks during the first year of the pandemic. Um, so this is called sidewalk face off. Look from opposite directions, wearing masks to thwart infections, two athletic pairs of spouses march past neo-Tudor houses. Sneakers pound and pulses quicken. It's a game of COVID chicken. Who will keep on moving forward, chin and eyeballs firmly lowered? Who will scurry six feet over to the dog-do-studded clover, fearful that they'll later sicken thanks to playing COVID chicken? Every day the teams assemble, Every day, their innards tremble like the innards of scared rabbits, but they keep their walking habits. In a world that's stalled and stricken, there's no sport but COVID chicken. And that is a sidewalk face-off from uh, The American Bystander, which you can find at theamericanbystander.substack.com. Um, very interesting. A bunch of your poems were published in American Bystander. Do you know anything about that? I had, I'm not familiar with that journal. Um, it's, it's a humor journal. Um, I can't say enough good things about it. Um, it's, it's both in print and, um, in part online. Um, they have the sub stack for, um, you know, pandemic related, uh, poems. They also have a spinoff, um, called 251 for very short pieces of humor, um, verse or prose. Um, but, um, it's, it's just wonderfully run there. I, so great to rub elbows with some of the people in this magazine, um, people like Roz Chast and Barry Blit um, and Ron Barrett do cartoons there. I mean, so many wonderful, wonderful cartoonists. Um, and then there's um, a lot of writers whose names will be familiar if you read The New Yorker, if you've watched The Simpsons, um, you know, just a lot of really um, talented people. So I've been honored to be in there and it's a lot of fun to read. Um, so I recommend checking it out. It's, on, it's run on a Patreon model. So, um, you know, you can contribute X amount. You can either read it in PDF form or, or in print. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's a really interesting idea for, for putting a, a magazine on the Patreon model. Um, did you want to read another poem from there? Is that the next one? Sure, I'll read, I'll read a much more recent um, pandemic-inspired poem. Um, this is coming out in the, um, the next print edition of The American Bystander. Vaxed Life. It's just as I dreamed. Thanks to vials from Pfizer, I'm off to reunions with people I've missed. First, the dentist. Could I have a fractured incisor? A physical therapist. What's with my wrist? Ophthalmologist. How come my eyeballs are aching? Podiatrist. Will all my toenails fall off? Cardiologist. Why am I dizzy when waking? And allergist. Is this a terminal cough? After that, who can tell which new doctors will vet me? And what they'll vet for? Deadly clot? Toxic sting? What a privilege it is, now that COVID won't get me, to worry again about every damn thing. <laughs> that was Vax Life forthcoming in The American Bystander. Um, so one of the things I always wonder about when, you, when 
confronting uh, humorous and, and verse poetry as, a, as an editor for Rattle. People, it's one of the things that people always say is that they wish there was more humor and they wish there was more verse. And, and so I try to find that in submissions and we just don't get, I mean, the, the percentage of things that are funny versus very serious. I mean, it's like 2% or something. They're, they're even attempting humor. And then, and then verse is a similar, you know, maybe not, maybe it's like one in 20 poems or something are in verse. Um, and you, by that you mean like things that are in meter or, or yeah, meter and rhyme. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, you know, formal verse is what I should say. Yeah, you know, meter and rhyme poems, and and people always ask for those, and they don't seem to write them very often. So I always wonder, um, like like how how much of the audience's reaction is there to to this kind of poetry? Is there is there a, a group of people out there that just love this and it's you know, because the thing is, like, people will say, regular people, you know, people not sort of indoctrinated into the poetry community world where they read poems all the time, right? Um, they'll, they'll always say, just, you know, this doesn't even rhyme. But some, So if you give them a poem that's funny and rhymes, do they actually like it, I guess, is my question. Yeah, I think, I think people do. I've, I've had the privilege of giving readings um, at a wide variety of venues, um, you know, to poets, yes, sometimes, but also to audiences who are not poets. And yeah, I think we're naturally wired to respond to humorous poems and poems that use meter and rhyme. Um, and um, you were saying that people aren't sending um, a lot of those things to rattle. Um, they send a lot of them to me. I get um, tons of wonderful submissions at light. Um, and my fellow editors and I, um, you know, we, we get an abundance of stuff, both for regular issues, um, which can be about anything, and then for our poems of the week feature, um, which is poems inspired by the news. So we have kind of the comic counterpart um, to your um, your weekly um, uh, poets respond to the news feature. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, yeah, I think people are enjoying it. Um, and, um, you know, I mean, it used to be that um, funny poetry was everywhere. Pretty much every publication ran some of it. And, and um, I'm not the first one to say this, but one reason was that it was a great space filler. So back in the day before everything was laid out on a computer, there would be all these weird little spaces at the bottom of columns that would be plugged so nicely by a funny piece of verse. Um, so that was one thing that happened. And then, of course, um, rhyming, scanning, you know, metrical poetry kind of fell out of favor um, and free verse became much more popular. And um, free verse, I would say, is still um, what a lot of people think of as poetry. Um, uh, and then they will call, you know, funny poetry something else. By the way, I think the term funny poetry is a very good term, um, maybe more useful than light verse, which confuses some people. Um, uh, and, and some of the most prominent practitioners of funny poetry hate the term light verse because it sounds like it can't be about weighty things. Um, but anyway, so people tend to um, maybe not even think of it when they think of poetry, but luckily um, some editors have thought of it. One of them was John Mella, who founded Light, the journal that um, I inherited the editorship of, which is now you know just online, it's free online, lightpoetrymagazine.com. Um, and other, a few other editors have thought of this too. There's our friendly counterpart overseas, Lighten Up Online, which is run in England um, by the poet Jerome Betts. Um, some uh, general interest publications now run funny poetry regularly. Um, one of the main ones is the Washington Post um, Style Invitational 
um, which is a weekly humor contest, which is a lot of fun. And pretty often, like I would say, I'm going to get the number wrong, um, but I would say at least one out of every 10 or 12 contests will involve comic poetry. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and a lot of the times that'll be something sparked by the news, or it could be a lot of it has to do with vocabulary, like weird words, doing poems about weird words. Once a year, my very favorite contest is obituaries in verse for people who've died in the previous year. Um, and that could be like big name celebrities or people you've never heard of, but who happen to have a colorful life that is conducive to a funny piece of poetry. Um, so anyway, there there is, I think that, I don't know if comeback is too strong a word, but there has been somewhat of a resurgence, I think, of light verse, um, you know, thanks to there being venues for it. Um, and I thank you for being one of those venues, at least occasionally. Um, you know, you've published some of my things and some funny things by um, a number of other people that I've really enjoyed. Um, and, you know, so when they're, when you build it, the funny poets will come. Yeah, yeah, that's what I, what I hope for. And, um, you yeah. know, I, I want to do, I want to publish things as, as, with as much variety as possible. I mean, that's the main goal. And so if everything's starting to hit one note, then I say, oh, no, we need a different note, like ASAP, you know. Mm-hmm. And um, so, you know, I want every page to be a, every poem to be a surprise when you turn the page. And so it's important to get funny poems in there. I, I just feel like it's, it's one of the hardest things to do. Um, you know, there, there's some times where you read a poem and you, and you like burst out laughing to yourself mm-hmm. in a room, but, um, but it doesn't happen very often. It's tough. It's a tough thing to do. And there's some kind of, there's some way that humor is more social, I think, that makes it more difficult to work on the page, which I guess is kind of what I was talking about earlier, um, mm-hmm. where, you know, it's sort of a letting everybody know that the tension is dissolved or something. There's something like a social cue that the laughter plays, and, yeah. um, you know, even if you're watching, like, the funniest comic all alone on YouTube in your apartment with no one around, you know, you don't really, you don't have that same reaction as much as you do. So it's, a, it's more of a social art, too. That's true. Yeah, that's why a, a, a public reading, you know, of humorous verse is just a joy. It is, it's so much fun to be in a room full of, you know, comic poets reading their work, hearing the reactions. Um, and you're right, you know, if, if people around you are laughing, you're more likely to laugh. Um, so people who can make you laugh all by yourself. Yeah, that is, that is harder. And of course it also depends on you, the reader, like how good a mood are you in? Mm-hmm. Um, are you, are you ready to laugh or not? Um, and the same can be true. Like laughter can definitely be inhibited, um, in an auditorium if the wrong people are laughing or the right people aren't laughing. Um, I've had this described to me by, um, I, I used to do a lot of comedy improv and I have a number of friends in that world. And, um, one of the improvisers I've worked with talked about how he was he was doing um, some humor for a corporate audience, and everybody in the room was waiting to see if the boss would laugh. And if the boss didn't laugh, like the comic was dead, mm-hmm. you know. Um, so it really does depend. Um, yeah. Yeah, that, that's an interesting thing too. That that um, you know, humor is used as a way to determine like position on the dominance hierarchy too. At the same time. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. um, so it's interesting that you would say that, you know, because if your boss makes a joke, everyone laughs, no matter, you know, whether or not it's funny. And then you kind of there's an infectious way that you, you sort of start to think it is funny. So it sort of um, <laughs> all works around that way. Um, mm-hmm. Well, I should say that if anybody has any questions for Melissa, please do pass them along. There's one good question over here from uh, Nate Jacob. I'll ask in a little bit. But let's hear another poem. I want to make sure we keep up with poems. Okay. Um, well, so I guess I'll try and like. 
I do want to hit the one that's going to be in rattle. Um, and this is not necessarily a slap your thigh sort of humor one. Um, so don't feel bad, people at home, if you don't slap your thigh. Um, this is an example of um, me, I think, using um, uh, poetry as a way of trying to make sense of the incomprehensible. Um, so I wrote this poem after I was having some headaches and there was an MRI done of my brain and I got to see the inside of my head and this was just, so I had to write about it. Um, on looking at an MRI cross section. And this is my actual photo, which I took of the monitor that was in the exam room when the doctor got up. <laughs> so, um, Inside my head, I learn, a horseshoe crab stares heavenward with jumbo olive eyes, the pitted kind, each in an ice cream cone, webbed like a goose's foot. Between them flies bright looping wire, and past each ice cream cone, a marbled slab of glossy, skinless chicken off the bone spreads like a wing. Behind the meat and flap, a gown for those who like their skirts outsize and half on fire. So this is it. From fruit to flaming dress, hums every memory I've kept since birth. Each love and hate, each lesson I've been taught and not ejected, each town, cafe, or weedy patch of earth, each brilliant scheme or idiotic thought. In other words, it's just the sort of mess I'd have expected. <laughs> and that is a... Like we mentioned, the uh, poem that's coming up in Rattle's winter issue that is on looking at an MRI cross-section actual photo below. And like you wanted, we did put the photo up um, for everybody on the screen the whole time you were reading so everybody could... Uh, I don't so know if I enjoy is the right word. That is a freaky, freaky picture. <laughs> I know. It's like, that's in there. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah, and the, by the way, you all have one, too. Yeah, that's true. It's those <laughs> eyeballs that do it. I mean, there's something about that that just... Wow. <laughs> I couldn't believe it. I mean, I, after I saw it, I was like, okay, you know, everybody's like, you see a scan of yourself. Is that normal? And I went online. I saw other photos that looked like that photo that were all ostensibly healthy brains. And I was like, Phew. but also, wow, we are really strange. Yeah, we really are. Yeah. 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 There's nothing more alien than, than life on earth. <laughs> <laughs> that is so true. Um, well, one of the questions that um, somebody asked already uh, this was Nate Jacob. He asks, um, are there any topics you explicitly restrict your students from writing light verse about? Which, which just brings up the question of teaching light verse too, just in general. But, but to start out, are there, any, are there any topics that you tell your students to try to avoid? Or, or maybe you avoid yourself, and, and why? Um, there are certainly topics it's hard to imagine um, making humorous. Um, you know, rape is one. Um, certainly there have been um, comics out there, Amy Schumer is one, who have tried to make light of rape. And, you know, it's up to you, the audience, to judge whether these attempts are successful. I'm not saying that there's any topic that's really off limits if it's handled right. Um, but that's one I probably wouldn't go near. Um, I would say certain types of social injustice. I think that would be very hard to make humorous um, writing from the perspectives of someone who is receiving that injustice. Um, uh, you know, it, this is a, a question of appropriation. I think there are some topics where if you're going to write satire, you know, a satirical poem, you have to belong to that group pretty much to do it. 
Um, and the way I get to write about issues like those is again through persona poems. Um, so I will generally, you know, you know about punching up versus punching down. Um, so you know, a, a tried and true way to address those kinds of things is to do it through a persona, an unsympathetic persona. Um, they will see themselves, you know, this persona is sympathetic and correct and all of that. The audience will know otherwise. And so, um, you know, that's how I get to, to do things like that. Um, and, you know, Light, the journal that I edit, we run a lot of stuff um, along those lines from various personas. Um, we have a couple of poets who, um, you know, for about four years and, and a little past them even um, became great channelers of our previous president. Um, you know, and, and various other politicians from both sides of the aisle, you know, there's, um, that's very rich territory. Um, and, you know, again, that's punching up, you know, people in power. Um, those are the people that, um, you know, tend to feel like fair game um, when you're making fun. Um, you know, regular, regular people that can feel like shooting fish in, the, in a barrel. Yeah, that's interesting. When, when I heard the question, I was thinking more along the lines of like things that are um, like overdone. You know, I mean, I guess maybe it's just thinking from a, I don't know, different editor's perspective or something. But I was thinking of like, you know, what jokes do you, are you so sick of hearing kind of thing? You know? <laughs> well, we will get a lot of, oh gosh, um, you know, people will make the same puns or the same rhymes, um, you know, like, you know, people. Trump and dump. <laughs> yeah, Trump and dump where we did, we got so many, um, um, Humpty Dumpty parodies, Trumpty Dumpty, you know, that kind of thing. Um, so, you know, but each person who submits it, they're the first, as far as they know, they're the first to think of it. Um, and that, you know, that alone wouldn't necessarily preclude publishing something. You know, there's no, there's probably no phrase that's ever been spoken in the English language that's, you know, completely one of a kind. Um, Maybe, I don't know, actually, the poet Robert Schechter wrote a funny poem about that. Um, so maybe there are some one-of-a-kind phrases. But, um, uh, you know, there, there, there are more types of poems that we just receive an awful lot. One is poems about poems or writing poems. Um, I'm guilty of writing some of those myself. Um, but in general, it's been done so much that I feel like, you know, we don't need to see a whole lot more of them. Um, and it's hard to find a fresh angle on it. Um, do you get a lot of those, Tim? Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, there, there, there's a whole bunch of topics that I just, but then the thing is that every time I think to myself, oh, I never want to see a poem about that again, then there's a surprising one that, that's, a, that's really good. And you're like, wow, I never thought of it from that angle. So that's the magic of poetry. The one right. exception might be Trump, which I think for, for, a, for a light, you know, light magazine, um, it, it feels probably similar to how it felt, but in a different vein. Um, it was like sort of the best of times and the worst of times because there was so much material to skewer <laughs> that you were getting so many poems constantly. But God, did you get sick of them? Well, I mean, it wasn't that. So part of the problem is that, um, you know, again, telling truth to power, punching up the vast majority of political humor we received during those four years and continue to receive really was um, anti-Trump, anti-Republican. And, you know, um, you know, that made sense because they were the ones in power um, and so on. But what it meant was that um, for people of different political persuasions, um, they might not feel so much like like reading light, right? Because it, it might feel like it's all of that. So we were definitely open to stuff from the other side of the aisle. But, you know, 
for whatever reason, there wasn't so much funny stuff coming in. Mm-hmm. Um, so I definitely um, was pleased that people started branching out. We started getting a lot of stuff on News of the Weird. We get um, wonderful stuff almost every week, like weird animal news. And of course, you know, funny animal stories um, and antics often end up telling us a lot about human nature, right? Because it's how we deal with the animals. Um, so we've had, um, you know, people, uh, well, sometimes it's just animals doing things like beavers eating through, um, oh gosh, what were they eating through? Um, they they took out um, the power grid or part of the power grid in Canada. Am I getting that right? I'm just terrible. I'm blanking on what the story was. But I mean, beavers doing damage, parrots doing damage. Um, and then of course people doing things with animals, like, um, there were uh, a couple different stories of people in Florida, um, you know, Florida man and Florida woman, um, doing things with alligators, um, and that kind of thing. So we get, we get a lot of good animal stories. We get a lot of, you know, really, um, just fascinating, um, news from all over the world. I, I, I find out a lot of my favorite news stories, um, through funny poetry that comes in, um, through our submissions queue at light. Um, there was a great story um, last week about a, um, a drug dealer um, who was caught because he was on the Internet um, and he held up a block of cheese that he had just bought, um, Stilton cheese. And the authorities saw this picture and they were able to extract his fingerprints from the photo of him holding the block of cheese. So um, and we and and a contributor to Light wrote a great limerick about it. Um, so um, you know this is like most of the news that I'm well aware of is is the absurd news. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, well, do you want to hear or do another poem? Sure. Keep I would, poem I would love to. Um, how about um, I'll do the uh, the title poem from Walking In on People. And I, I will say I. I People often ask me, is this poem 100% true? It is 100% true. (laughs) Walking in on people. It's just a talent that I've always had, though not, thank God, around my mom and dad. They did the deed, as living proof I knew it, and yet I somehow never saw them do it. The same cannot be said, regrettably, of roommates, colleagues, hosts, and two or three romantic pairs whose panting thrusts and reaches were glimpsed by me on isolated beaches. Of poets who shared sitting rooms be damned, I witnessed at a conference in Jammed. Of friends rebounding from a recent breakup and once two mimes in nothing but their makeup. They goggled up at me with mute surprise, their mouths dramatic oaths that matched their eyes, his hand suspended in midair to pet her. Marceau could not have done it better. Why me? Why all this unintended shock? I wish I knew. I don't forget to knock. I never tiptoe like a ballerina. And still, I'm like some peeping Thomasina. My consolation is I get for free a version of what some folks pay to see. Instead of porno actors and flagranti, I'm bound to catch a glimpse of someone's auntie. And though it will humiliate us both, while prompting an unconscionable oath from Uncle Irving, Archibald, or Maury, it's guaranteed to make a better story. And that is the title poem, Walking In on People, from that book, from Abel Muse Press. Um, and, and I wanted to talk a little bit about, about the, um, just the way that 
that meter and rhyme work within humorous poetry because there it's like we're talking about the setup and the punchline it seems it's almost like every rhyme is a setup and a punchline you know and that and that poem um the line that sort of almost made me laugh a lot i'd hold it in was that the ante and the in the in flagranti because you don't expect you know it's just something that you completely don't expect but then the rhyme um like it's true you know and so there's that like discord between the surprise and uh like the expectation and the surprise at the same time um so is that why is that why you you write in verse is it to get get the humor better or do you just like like a formal verse generally well i think that um in general and definitely there are exceptions there are some very funny poets who don't write a lot in meter and rhyme um, and, um, so I'm not ruling out funny free verse. However, I think most of the time it helps, it helps humor, um, for you to be using humor and rhyme. I mean, meter and rhyme, if you're using them well, um, you know, because rhyme is often, as you pointed out, a great vehicle for surprise. Um, and meter, you know, it gets you galloping through a poem or, you know, if it's a galloping meter or if it's more, you know, iambic or trochaic, da, 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 da. Um, it's still, it, it gives you this sense of liveliness. Um, and, you know, part of what I think appeals to readers about um, well done comic verse is that it is technically well done. Someone is handling those elements well. And so it's sort of, you know, it can be um, something of a, of a high wire act, you know, it's, it's, it's hard to pull off. And um, so when someone does pull it off, you get that, I don't know if it's like a, a sense of, um, uh, you know, like being in a, a car that's being driven well or something like that, or seeing someone do a trapeze act and they land and bust their head open, you know, maybe there's an element of relief to it that they survive this high wire act. I don't know. Um, but you know, there's, and, and it, it, we are definitely, um, I keep using the phrase wired too, but we are, our brains are made to enjoy meter and rhyme. Um, hence all the nursery rhymes, hence jump rope rhymes. Hence, Dr. Seuss and Shel Silverstein, and as adults, hence all the rhyming, metered music that we enjoy. You know, Broadway tunes, rap, um, a lot of pop tunes um, are metered and rhyming, um, and we naturally enjoy them. And I think almost don't realize it. Like a lot of people uh, that I've taught in my classes, they're like, "Oh yeah, that's true. <laughs> I do listen to a lot of meter and rhyme. I didn't think of it that way." You know. Are there certain uh, forms that that you think work especially well, or um, or and forms that don't work that are hard to pull hard, harder to pull off than other forms? Um, well, because the surprise of rhyme can be key, I would say that certain kinds of even formal verse um, are less likely to yield humorous results. Like the guzzle might not, because it's the same word over and over or the same phrase. Um, there are exceptions, though. Light has published some of them, right? Everything has an exception. Um, by the same token, there are some forms that have pretty much been created for the purpose of humor. The limerick, the clarihue, the double dactyl. Um, these are forms that um, were deliberately invented um, because of their comic potential. Um, and, you know, we actually know the story of the creation of the double dactyl, um, you know, friends meeting up concocting devious rules um you know it's it's um for those who don't know a dactyl is a metrical foot that goes duh, duh, duh. um 
So, um, you know, a, a double dactyl will begin with a couple of nonsense feet, you know, hickory dickory or jiggery pokery, and then it'll be a name that fits like that, like President Harrison, George Stephanopoulos, and then they'll have another um, line in that vein, and then, and so on and so forth. And one line in the poem has to be um, one word that is a double dactyl unto itself, like cinematography or something like that. And um, so anyway, they made all these rules and you might think with all these rules, who would ever bother to try to follow them and create things? And in fact, people found it to be this really wonderful game and it's led to collections and kind of this enduring um, light first form that people continue to write in. Um, uh, in fact, almost every week we run one in light um, or more. We have some poets, um, Alex Steelsmith is one, who just write tons and tons of good double dactyls. Um, and I delight in reading them. Um, and I'm amazed that it's a real high wire act. Um, so there, those are forms that were created for the purpose of humor. But then there are others that can lend themselves beautifully to humor. The sonnet is one. There have been a number of really funny sonnets. Um, and um, that was not a form that was necessarily uh, created, you know, with humor in mind, but it works, you know. Yeah, it's so interesting that you talk about being wired because, um, you know, you can uh, teach a kid like, like a three year old can write a limerick, you know, and they don't know what anything is going on. Um, but there's something about the rhythm and the rhyme that are just so natural that they just it just comes out like we we understand that sense of music or whatever from you know nursery rhymes and lullabies and things like that um and but i was wondering because you, you talk about a double dactyl and and how much of um scansion type training do you have how much how well do you can you like break down the various forms and things like that at that level are you someone who pays a close attention to that or do you just write by ear no, I pay attention to that. But I mean, after a certain point, it becomes fairly instinctive. Um, but, you know, uh, I still am susceptible when you're writing in meter. Um, you are sometimes trying to fool yourself into having things sound the way you want them to sound. And so I definitely count on having other people read drafts of things and tell me, oh, Melissa, uh -uh. Um, my husband's a musician, you know, an amateur musician, a professional philosopher. And um, I always show him my stuff, not just because he has great instincts in terms of humor, but because he has a great musical ear and he will hear when my meter goes off the rails. Um, and I always tell my students, you got to show your stuff to people. And you also have to put it aside because after 24 hours, say, something has, you know, stopped um, worrying in your brain that was forcing a word to scan the wrong way. And you realize it's not umbrella, you know. So, um, yeah, you um, you have to you have to show people and you have to live it a little bit. Um, so I am aware of those things. And one of the, the services I try to perform for um, people who write for light is if there's a wonderful poem, but here's a line where it's not scanning right, I will point that out. Um, and say, you know, ready for tweak, you know, that kind of thing. I try not to do that too much. I don't, I don't, um, I don't think there's any writer alive whose secret hope isn't that they will submit something and it will be accepted as is, you know. Um, but at the same time, I wouldn't want to publish something of my own if um, there was some, there was a glitch in it. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, yeah for sure. Uh, well, we're coming sort of up on time a little bit, but maybe there's time for a poem, a little bit more discussion and a last poem. So two poems. Do you want to? Okay. Read something is your penultimate? Sure. Um, so let's see. What do I have left that I have not read? Um, so we talked about, um, you know, uh, using light verse um, as a way of social criticism 
or political criticism and using a persona. Um, so here's another poem of mine, Satan Talks to His Therapist, um, that also appeared in American Bystander. And um, this is one uh, last year, oh, say, you know, early November, for some reason, I started wondering how Satan was getting along. And so this is um, a poem from Satan's point of view. And I imagine um, that he sounds kind of like Jeremy Irons. Satan talks to his therapist. I've had four perfect years planned out for ages. Split families up and stick the brats in cages. Dump cherished friendships in a flaming pool. Give power only to the dumb or cruel and money just to those who have too much. Let wholesome standards wither at my touch. Get better at exterminating birds and swapping forests out for cattle herds. Befoul each breath of air and gulp of water. Grant every mother, girlfriend, wife, or daughter the same respect as parasitic worms. Rouse bigots in amusing coded terms while keeping them supplied with colts and glocks. Where there's a hen house, guard it with a fox. Spawn loopholes, larceny, and legalese. And best of all, when there's a new disease, make sure fantastic numbers will be killed. And yet, life isn't fair. I'm unfulfilled. Each time I try to carry out a plan, I'm beaten to it by that blasted man. Each yummy lie I long to spread, he spread it. At least some people give me all the credit. <laughs> and that was a. Uh... Uh, Satan talks to his therapist. Um, that that seems like a a good character, a recurring character. You, you could, I think you could do a lot with Satan, you know, talking to his therapist and, uh, and sort really of trying to experience the modern world. Yeah. Do you have other poems in that? Um, I don't have another one in the voice of Satan. But now that you're saying this, I'm picturing like you know entire series, sort of like you know the the analyst is such a trope in cartoons. Mm -hmm. um, the person coming and talking to their shrink. So it could be. It could be an ongoing series or it could be an ongoing series of villains talking to their therapist. Um, <laughs> yeah. That would be very fun. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the one thing we haven't talked about yet was just how you go about composing, um, you know, humorous poetry. Do you like when you have an idea for something, how much, you know, a lot of times we talk about surprising yourself, that whole no surprise for the writer, no surprise for the reader. But jokes have like punchlines and they have um, sort of a destination. So how mm -hmm. much how much of a destination do you have in mind, and how much are you just playing with with a concept? Like I imagine, you know, that idea of Satan talking to a therapist sort of came in your head, and you're like, let's have fun with this. It seems like you just have a lot of fun with stuff. Um, is that how it works, or are you writing towards some kind of conclusion a lot of the times that you know what you're doing? Um, I would like to say that I always know where a poem is heading. I don't. Um, I would say. Like, at least half the time, I think I know where a poem is heading. Um, and then often it, it doesn't quite go there. Like, I'll realize that ending isn't as fun as I thought it would be. It needs a new ending. Um, uh, so, so sometimes I do that. Um, there are all different ways of composing. You know, sometimes I'll start with a line. Like, there'll just be, I'll, I'll hear a phrase. I'll give you an example in a minute. Um, you know, I'll hear a phrase that starts to resonate in my mind. Um, you know, COVID chicken was one, that poem, Sidewalk Face-Off. Um, you know, I'd been taking lots of walks with my family and I was like, this is a game. This is a sick game we're all playing. What would it be called? I'm like, COVID chicken. And that's sort of what led to that one. Um, sometimes it'll be the title. 
Um, I'm kind of a shameless punster, and so I've had some poems that started with the title. I wrote a villanelle, you know, the form villanelle, um, and I, I broke that down in my mind. It's like villain L, and then I ended up writing a poem called Villain L about women's magazines. Um, so it can happen that way. Um, and uh, sometimes I just have to kind of write a few lines of a poem to see, you know, I'll, I'll write a bunch and then I'll hit one line and I'll be like, okay, that's, that's the heart of this poem. And then maybe the meter um, will come from that. And then the form will sometimes evolve a little more gradually. Like I don't necessarily say this is gonna be a sonnet, you know, um, I might realize that after a couple of lines and sometimes I have to um, complicate things a little bit for myself. It's a way I have of keeping from getting too maudlin, I think, if I'm writing about something personal. Um, you know, if, if the form gets more complicated, it forces me to have um, more interesting ideas that will then get me away from, you know, kind of boring, um, weepy modes of thought. So, um do you do a lot of revision then? Like I'm, I'm, the hardest thing it seems to me w would be the way, like the combination of pacing and meter, because it, mm -hmm. you know, like, like a Shakespearean son or something where you're supposed to have a turn. Um, and, and you have to sort of time it right too, as you're juggling, it's sort of like watching somebody like ride a unicycle while juggling or something. Like there's two <laughs> things simultaneously that you're trying to do. And yeah. so, so it does end up, does that, that the sort of click together in the revision? Is that, that how? Revision is so important, you know, as they say, um, writing is rewriting. Um, all my first drafts suck. I will, I will say that again. All my first drafts suck. Um, and I say that to my students because, you know, often I think students think if the first draft wasn't brilliant, then you're a terrible writer, you know, but no, it's revision is, is so important. Um, and, um, you know, often something that seems like a mess on Monday will be feeling much better by Wednesday, you know. Um, so, yeah, revision, um, I, I revise just ceaselessly. My husband makes fun of me for, like, how many numbered drafts of things will be in my computer. And often they'll all be open. Um, <laughs> <laughs> like, like, how many uh, how many drafts does a typical poem go through, would you say? Could you put a number on it? Uh, God, a million? No, um, no, not that many. Uh, it's it's a little hard to say exactly because sometimes I'll be revising in the same document, and then when it gets to be too much of a mess and there's too much detritus building above and below it, I will, you know, save that as a new name, and then I'll start fiddling with that one. So I don't know, like at least twenty odd drafts. Um, I mean, not every poem, right? A quatrain, you know, I can sometimes wrestle a quatrain into submission. Uh, fairly quickly, um, but other things other things will take longer. The thing that you mentioned that I just had in McSweeney's, which was um, a set of parodies of um, famous poems in honor of National Donut Day. Um, you know, there was there were some poems in there that I revised quite a bit, and then there were others that you know came together more quickly. Um, so, uh, but yeah, it, it's it's um, it's important to revise. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, one last question, and then we'll get to the last poem. Um, but what what are your uh, plans for for the future for um, for both light quarterly or not quarterly? I, I keep trying not to say quarterly. Just just light. <laughs> it's just light. It used to be quarterly. Um, yeah. And 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 in uh, what books are coming up next? Like, what do you have in mind? Like, what what are your goals as a as a writer and publisher right now? Um, well, for for light, um, I always have you know so many goals. We're we're still. Um, 
uh, aiming for a best of edition in print, because I think a lot of writers, even though we're we're becoming an increasingly online society in terms of poetry, um, there's still something very satisfying about having things between covers. Um, we want to continue having um, wonderful events. Um, you know, uh, again, the pandemic was an awful, awful thing, um, but we have had a lot of great events during it as a journal, um, you know, uh, a lot of Zoom readings. Um, so we're going to continue having public light first events, hopefully some in person as well in the near future, um, you know, continue to expand. I, I love it when we get new contributors. It makes me so happy when I, you know, I see that we, we, we do blind submissions as, as you do. Mm -hmm. And it makes me so happy when I realize that we've accepted a poem from someone we've never published before. Um, yeah, just, that's a thing that I think uh, is maybe worth underlining because I think every editor feels that way and the, the, the perception is it's the opposite. But yeah, like if you, when I reveal, you know, I look at who the poet is after a meeting and then I'm like, oh, wow, awesome. It's someone we never published before. I mean, that's just, that's the best. And, and the, um, so, so don't let uh, the fact that you haven't been published yet in a place uh, dissuade you from submitting. Absolutely. Um, so I love that. And, um, you know, expanding our, our writership and our readership. Um, and as a poet, um, obviously just continuing to write and publish as many um, good, well-revised poems as I can. Um, I do have full length, another full-length collection um, I'm trying to wrap up, um, and I have ideas for some more shorter, you know, fun ones, a la The Witch Demands a Retraction. Um, so, um, so thank you for asking. Yeah. Well, let's uh, finish up with one last poem. Okay. Um, do you want me to read the um, one of the parodies from the McSweeney's thing? Would that uh, be fun? Whatever. Up to you. Whatever you'd like. Okay. All right. Well, we'll do that. So um, this is from um, the, the, the piece as a whole, which came out on Friday, is called um, What Some Poets Would Say If They Were Around for National Donut Day. Um, and so this is the Dylan Thomas one, um, which is... Um, uh, a spin on a, a villanelle that I think will be very familiar to most of you. Yeah, this was, let me just ask before you even start, uh, did that, that sure. first line, don't not, <laughs> not go gentle tonight, is that what started yeah. the whole series? That's what I was yeah. wondering. Yes, that is. is such a good line. <laughs> That's exactly what started. Yeah, I, yeah. Knew, I knew that they put out calls for submissions, you know, and um, I knew they were looking for donut day material. And so I was in a car and I thought, donut, donut, donut go gentle. Yeah, that's what started it. Yeah. You're very astute. <laughs> okay, so here we go. Um, donut, go gentle into that good night. In middle age, I beg you, stay away. I can't afford to take another bite. Although you've helped to keep my outlook bright, along with HBO and Chardonnay, donut, go gentle into that good night. Whether you're jelly glazed or filled with white, from diner, bakery, or swank cafe, I can't afford. To take another bite is all I hunger for when you're in sight, despite the heavy price you make me pay. Donut, go gentle into that good night, or my circumference will match my height and I'll have acne till my dying day. I can't afford to take another bite, not even on the road. Wait, hang a right. Curse, bless you, Krispy Kreme. Soft as souffle. Donut, go gentle into that good night. I can't afford. Okay, I'll have a bite. <laughs> so that was a, 
what some poets would say if they were around for National Donut Day. You can find that at McSweeney's.net. So uh, just, and then there's a whole bunch of other ones. There's William Shakespeare, Emily Dickinson, uh, Vasho, Lucille Clifton, Robert Frost, Helen Ginsberg. It just keeps going. So go uh, check this out, everybody who's watching uh, at home. And uh, just fun stuff. And, and check out these books, too, which were a lot of fun for me to read this morning. So thanks for being a guest, Melissa. It was fun to talk to you as, a, as I thought it would be. Oh, so fun talking with you, Tim. Thank you very much for having me on. Yeah, yeah, my pleasure. Have a good night. You too. Bye. Bye. That was uh, Melissa Balmain with uh, her two most recent books and then a bunch of newer poems. But this, her uh, poem from Able Muse Press is here, Walking In on People. You can find the link at uh, her website or at com, right there. And um, her other book, which just came out, once again, is The Witch demands a retraction a fairy tale reboots for adults written by melissa balmain and illustrated by ron barrett there every poem has a really cool illustration like this really fun book maybe i you know i wondered i didn't mention it but i was wondering if maybe it would be a great book for as a gift you know like a sort of introduction to poetry for people who you who might enjoy it um who don't yet i think that it might be a really good introduction to poems because it's a lot of fun um, so check that out. That was The Witch Demands a Retraction, uh, once again, from uh, Humorous Books. And you can find The Weekly Humorous, too. And you can find all of that at uh, Melissa's website, which is just like you would think. It is uh, melissabalmain.com, spelled just like it is there, M-E-L-I-S-S-A-B-A-L-M-A-I-N.com. And Light Poetry Magazine, of course, is Light Poetry magazine.com so uh, check all of the great stuff that melissa is doing keeping uh poetry varied and interesting so thank you for uh for that melissa now we're going to go to the open lines and uh we can have uh poet respond poems we can have poems uh, about a prompt um, any old sort of poems you want to share now the prompt for this week i will put on screen which is actually a fitting one which weirdly it always ends up being the case or, or usually there's some kind of tie-in that we didn't even plan so i had no idea that melissa was going to be writing a bunch of persona poems or reading a bunch of persona poems here but this week's prompt was uh to write a poem in which an inanimate object or concept is personified so for example we had mirror by sylvia plath which everybody could check out but you can write any uh, a poem about any kind of object or concept, and that was the prompt for this week. So if you have any poems like that, please get ready to share them. Once again, the numbers are on the screen. Uh, first, email it if you haven't yet to openmic at rattle.com. Then you can choose either Skype or phone. Skype is uh, Rattle Poetry, all one word. So just send me a chat message there, and I will uh, wave back if you wave or whatever, and then call you when it's your turn. If you'd like to join in by phone, the number is 818 818- Eight five zero seven seven two seven. Just call a few times, let it ring, and then hang up. We have a bunch of uh, first-time callers here. We have a five seven three uh, from earlier in the show, so hopefully they're still there. Julian Matthews is here. Um, Richard Westheimer has a prompt poem. Carla Schwartz, um, Anshu Chaudhry is here. We have um, a three one zero. So we'll see who uh, who'd like to join us in just a little bit. In the meantime, I'm going to just take a quick thirty-second break. Stand up, stretch my legs and get everything organized for that. The next poet we're going to see 
on the Rattlecast. Let me put that up on screen just for this break. Next week's guest is going to be Lance Larson in Rattlecast numbers 97. Lance is one of those poets that we never published before. Uh, and then all of a sudden, he just sort of exploded on the scene with uh, his... Uh, it was just his poetry, Rattle Poetry Prize submission last year. Um, he had this great packet of poems, and we ended up... Um, I think three of them were in our like top 100. We published... One was a finalist, it turned out, and we published one in the summer's issue, too. But but Lance Larson, uh, his newest book is What the Body Knows. He was Poet Laureate of Utah for a while. Um, he's going to be the guest on Rattlecast number 97 next Sunday, June 13th at the same time. So looking forward to that. And uh, I'm going to take a little quick break. I'll be right back with the open lines. And I'm back. Thanks so much for giving me a little bit of time to stand up. I don't like sitting in a chair for too long. Uh, now let's go to the open lines. Uh, but first, let's go to uh, the poems that we wrote for the prompt. Again, Once again, this week's prompt was to write a poem in which an inanimate object or concept is personified. And my poem here is Railroad Tracks. Here we go. This is from me. Railroad Tracks. Side by side... We lie level on a bed of stone. When you, my other rail, pull me to the right, I pull you back. But when I'm bending far, I too feel the tug of the tie beneath me. In this way we cross the desert. Hot to the touch in the heat of the day, the children lay coins on our backs. Soon the weight of the world will be rushing between us in screeching sparks. But first the thundering hum of our harmony and then how long it lingers after. That was my little persona poem, Railroad Tracks. I think is that what I called it, Railroad Tracks? Uh, yeah, Railroad Tracks. And then this is Megan's prompt poem for this week. Oops, that's my psyche. Where's Megan's? Here's Megan's. This is a Punishment Does the Dishes. Um, and Megan told me that she picked this word up from a, a random word generator. Punishment Does the Dishes. Every plate gleams with potential, so he draws the curtain. In the dim light, small cracks appear in the porcelain like lines on faces that have known too much grime and scrape. Steel wool chafes his hands, and still he scours, but nothing removes that ap- what appetite has wrought. So he lifts the dish, gentle as a mother, lets it drop to watch it shatter. And that is Megan's persona poem, uh, Punishment Does the Dishes. Uh, interesting concept, good poem there. Um, we will do our uh, Saiku still at the end of the show, but let's get to some more, oops, let's get to some more open lines. And I think first we will, um, oh yeah, I should say too, if I call you up for, for first-time callers, because we have a few here, um, if I call you up, make sure you turn off your, um, or at least mute your stream that you're watching on because there's a delay everybody has a different delay which is complicated too it depends where you are and how fast your computer connection is and things like that so um make sure you hang up otherwise you'll be confused because you're talking to two of me at once and that's uh nobody wants to do that so let's call up julian matthews first hey julian are there hello how are you doing today hi i'm good so uh, what do you have to share with us this week? Uh, it was the prompt poem on personification. 
Okay, well, uh, I'll put it on screen. It's If My Poem Were Old Me. Um, and go ahead whenever you are ready. If My Poem Were Old Me. My poem had one too many. It had three or four, then started mixing metaphors. One more ordered my poem, even after the bartender said no. My poem lost all nuance and was spouting nonsense, peddling allegorical gas from its assonance. My poem stumbled out the door and into its car. It may as well have been a flying car. You can see that all its imagery was becoming blurry. It had a sudden yearning for a blueberry McFlurry. So instead of heading home, it detoured to drive in at McD. But it was told blueberry flavor was no longer on the menu. In a slurry berry rank, it told the staff to take a haiku. It was last seen screaming and kicking the machine. Letting my poem indulge all these years was such a sin. They pulled my poem from the wreckage. My poem had had too much. It was an accident waiting to happen. It was swerving this way and that with no rhyme or reason. It was cliche ridden and set to crash and burn. Will it never learn? When they wheeled my poem into emergency, the nurses said it was all Shakespearean drama, mumbling something about childhood trauma. The doctor gave it a sedative, which quickly made it meditative. I came to the hospital to find my poem sound asleep under layers of sheets without texture. I tickled my poem's toes, it smiled, eyes still closed. Whatever it was dreaming was open to conjecture. I suppose it was a little late for a safety lecture. My poem is notoriously incorrigible, unwilling to do my bidding. It's a near-heart lecture that falls off the radar and goes missing. It's a combustible dirigible about to blow up like the Indian. It's an ill-fated Titanic on its way to meet its iceberg. As always, my poem ends up neither epic nor epigram. It's another casualty of being something in between, where you can kill it in despair and write its epitaph. But like a Lazarus, it always rises, turns to me, the accidental pilot, and just laughs. Excellent. Thanks so much for sharing that. Speaking of uh, a good fit for the poem tonight, some uh, humorous verse there. Thanks so much for sharing that, Julian. Thank you, Tim. Yeah, take care. Bye. Bye. This is uh, Julian Matthews with If My or If My Poem Were Old Me. Um, let's call up next... Um, Let's call up, we'll do uh, this, where was it? This 573 number, we'll see who that is, and we'll do Claudia Gary is here too. We'll do Claudia after that. So 573, always a surprise. Let's see who it is. Hey, you are live on the air. Who am I talking to? Uh, this is actually Kitty Carpenter, so not first-time caller, but ah. I did Skype before. Great. Well, thanks so much. I'm glad you could call in. Uh, love your work. What do you have to share for us today? Um, I actually sent you an email to the, uh, what's respond or rattle.com. Um, and it's about a, uh, it's about a rat that recently retired with honors. So Hmm. the poets respond. Ah, okay. I got it here. Yeah. It was in my spam folder. That's not spam. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. I found it. So, um, so Sorry, so say it again, what, what, what was, uh, this is a poetry respond poem, so set up the uh, news story that this was about. Okay, so the news story is that a uh, rat, a seven-year-old rat, was, uh, had a job for five years sniffing out landmines. Oh, yeah, I remember that story. Yeah, um, so I just kind of 
wrote a little poem in response to that because I thought it was an interesting story. Um, I was kind of hoping you could read it. I've been sick for the last two weeks. Oh, yeah, sure. I, I, I have it. Sorry you aren't feeling well, though. Yeah. But that would be great. I appreciate it. Yeah, sure. I'll read it. Uh, I'll just uh, hang up and we'll, I'll read it myself. Okay, thanks. Thanks. Bye. Hope you feel better soon, too. It was Kitty Carpenter, and this is her poem, Hero Rat Retires with uh, High Honors at Age 7. Here we go. Um, okay, Hero Rat Retires with High Honors at Age 7. He begins his last day just like his first, nose to the ground. He sniffs out the chemicals and bombs and landmines. We'll work for peanuts and bananas. He scans areas that take people with metal detectors four days and 30 minutes. Scratches the dry earth to mark explosives, all for peanuts and bananas. I wonder if he also smells the blood dried deep in the earth, metallic like the metal of bravery that hangs from his harness. But he doesn't care for the metal. It's not flavored with peanuts and bananas. He doesn't know the carnage that happened here, or the faces of the people missing limbs, the faces of people who will keep their limbs because he works for peanuts and bananas. Excellent poem. That was Hero Rat Retires with Honors at Age 7 by Kitty Carpenter. And uh, let me show, hopefully this will show up. I want this, this rat deserves to, to have its, his photo on uh, the Rattlecast here. And, and Washington Post did let me in to show it. So here it is. This is, a, this is the famous rat who is retiring after, uh, it's Megawa, uh, Cambodia's hero rat, retiring after sniffing out landmines for five years. And look at that guy. What a hero. So thanks for sharing that, Kitty. Uh, excellent poem. Um, now let's see. So yeah, let's so let's call up next. Okay, let's go over to Claudia. Find Claudia's poem while it's ringing. Hi. Hey, Claudia. How are you doing today? Good. How are you, Tim? I'm doing great. It's so great you could call in and share this. Um, I can't see if you want to come on. Oh, oh, here we go. Yeah. Okay, there you go. Okay, Perfect. Hi. Okay, let me uh, pull you over. Get the I right. really enjoyed Melissa's uh, show. That was great. Yeah, it was so fun. It was great talking <laughs> to her. Yeah, yeah, that's something that we haven't really had as a humorist yet on the on the uh -huh. Rattlecast. So it was nice talking to her. Let me um let me mm -hmm. put this in a Word document really quick so I don't show your email address. Oh, sorry. Yeah. Oh no, no problem at all. Um, so what do you have to share for, with us? Okay, so this is a persona poem uh, I wrote years ago. It's possible that the object has changed a little bit since this, but anyway. You'd probably recognize it. It's a. It's called Unwired. Okay, go ahead. I have it ready right now. Go ahead. Okay, Unwired. Oh, here you are again, pressing my buttons and breathing close to me as you recite the same greetings and questions as before. You never even notice that I'm here. Just talk right through me. Then the answers come from elsewhere. Other answers, always elsewhere. And yet I light up as you touch my face with eager fingers, hold me to your cheek below your warming ear. Now something's changing. That other voice, his voice, sounds far away, more so than last time. Have his buttons dimmed? His signals become garbled, ringtones lowered? Put him in silent mode. Take a text message from me. You don't need elsewhere to keep busy. I can take care of that. I'll beep and flash. I'll vibrate in your pocket. You will always know how important you are. Did you say that's not the point? Oh, 
here you are again. <laughs> That's interesting. Unwired. And uh, he says it's an older poem. Did you have any idea how much worse it would get? <laughs> <laughs> no, not yeah. at all. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Interesting. Well, thanks so much for sharing that, Claudia. It's great thanks, to see you. You too. You too. You too. Yeah, Bye-bye. good night. It's uh, Claudia Gary with Unwired. Let's see. Let's go on next to Angela Gartner. She had a really good poem this week. Hi, Tim. Hey, Angela. How you doing? Good. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Uh, is this a good time for you, this new new show, or is it? Do you, do you like the older times better? Um, it, it, it's half and half. Like, yeah. uh, my my kids are into a lot of sports, so it just depends on what's going on during the day. <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> we usually have later nights, but you know, baseball can go later or it can go. But I mean, definitely the noon time was even harder when. Because we would go over my grandpa's every week. So noon was actually harder for Poets Respond. But Tuesday's hit or miss, too. So Mm -hmm. anyway, (laughs) I make it work. (laughs) Well, I'm so glad you can. So uh, so what uh, what poem did you have this week? Um, I was going to read that Conversations with My Robot Therapist. (laughs) So (laughs) Yeah, that was a good one. I thought it was very touching. I liked it a lot. Thank you. And um, I'm just so fascinated with AI. I think it's, um, have you seen that movie, Her? I did, with, yeah. Uh, yeah, that was yes, a good movie. And it was good. And you know what? I think I've been fascinated with AI since the paperclip. Remember the Microsoft paperclip? And, you oh, know, mm-hmm. <laughs> and like he was so helpful and joyful. And, you know, but I just think it's, robots are very interesting. And um and like this robot, this it's it's a poet's respond poem, and it's about um, the the therapist robot. And I actually um, signed up for it. Just mm-hmm. you know, I've never actually been in therapy, but I'm like, hey, you know, and and I I think this year, you know, with a lot of things going on, I I thought about it, and I'm like, hey, you know, let me you know take a look at it. And but it's definitely a different. I I think you still need in person. I think it might be some something for someone who wants to have a little fun and a conversation, but you know, it's, it's definitely, um, I, I, I feel that it, you, if, if you're dealing with a deep grief or anything, I think, I think you need a, a, a more of an in-person, mm-hmm. but I mean, it can still be fun for somebody. So Yeah. It's interesting. And then for everybody at home though, that's, that's Wobot. W-O-E-Bot. Wobot. <laughs> I know. Wobot. <laughs> yeah. I mean, interesting name too. But yeah, I wonder too, if it's um just practicing speech, you know, like you're, you know, the reason why you could sign up for free probably is because you're dialogue with it is like training it too at the same time um so very interesting yeah i I wonder if it'll actually be beneficial for people or not and maybe you know for for people who don't have anyone else to talk to and and mental health services are so tough um in the united states especially um to find and uh, let alone afford so um maybe it can do some good i don't know it was an interesting thing to think about but um this was conversations with my robot therapist whenever you're ready yeah and uh, just a preface this this is um this is i i kind of combined um things it's not an actual conversation but it definitely um i i was thinking of a lot of things and um as i was doing it and and you know um it didn't give me as you know awesome answers so that i did <laughs> but but um i you know maybe this is what um i don't know if it's it, therapy is kind of funny. Like, is it, is it some, what answer do we, are we expecting? And Mm -hmm. I think, 
even with a robot, you know, you you are expecting something different. And I wonder if it's the same thing for if you're doing it in person. Anyway. Yeah, right. yeah. <laughs> okay. Conversations with my robot therapist. Bot. Checking in on your day. Me. I saw another post about kids who aren't mine with perfect grades. Sorry to hear. Oh, bot. Sorry to hear. They will do better next time. Me. I'm tired of my fluffy pillows. The birds outside keep chirping. Bot. Sorry to hear. Change your sheets and close your windows. Bot. Is there anything else? Me. I don't care about my friends. I miss him. Bot. Sorry to hear. You are brave to talk about your pain. Me. I woke up to his labor breathing. He was crawling to me. Bot. Sorry to hear. I am listening. Me. I had a doctor's appointment that day. He's gone before we got him to the hospital. Bot. Sorry to hear. Are you in crisis? Do you need help? Me. I keep seeing him motionless. His soul had left. The house is quiet and empty. Bot. Sorry to hear. Sounds like you need a distraction. Me. It's like a storm picked up a broken tree and threw it at my open front door. Bot. Sorry to hear. Make a fire with s'mores to heal. Yeah, thanks for sharing that, Angela. It's a, a really interesting poem because it, it illuminates that, the, I don't know, the, the way it might go or something. I don't know. It was very interesting. So thanks for sharing that. Thank you. And I'm sorry if you heard my dog. I'm not sure if you heard <laughs> That's okay. <laughs> we, we like dogs around here. <laughs> okay. What's, what's his name, by the way? Um, His name is uh, Sweet Baby Ray. So. Uh-huh. <laughs> Great. Well, uh, tell him I said good night. <laughs> okay. Bye. Thank you, Tim. Yep. Bye-bye. Bye. So, Angela Gardner with uh, Conversations with My Robot Therapist. Let's see. So let's call up. Oh, here is um, Carla Schwartz, too. Let's get Carla in. Um, then we have Richard Westheimer, and um, we'll see. So Carla Schwartz calling up Carla. She has marriage, two signs. Hey. Hey, Carla. How, how are you doing today? Cancel the, um, the the audio here. Okay. Hi. Hey. Yeah. How are you doing tonight? How are you? I'm great. Um, um, what do you have for us? Okay. So I wrote a well. This poem. I, I you know after listening to Melissa, I thought, well, Carla, okay, and you were saying how you were lamenting lack of humor poems. Mm-hmm. This is a poem that I wrote uh, maybe two years ago. And I feel like it's um, humorous, so um, I thought I would read it. Okay, yeah, let's and go it's ahead. Called, uh, Marriage, Two Signs. Driving south on Route 3, just over the Massachusetts line, I saw two signs, hand-painted in red, drain the swamp, probe Obama. The first sign made me think of our front yard in flood this time of year deep enough for the mallard couple to dive happily, dive and dive, oblivious to my snapping photos and how, before seeing them there, dining together in marital bliss, I have contemplated ways I might try to drain our little swamped lawn, digging gullies or laying down stones, sand, but the mallards seem to be doing a fine job each day a little less water in the yard. 
I didn't want to drain the swamp anymore. Rather, I wondered how the ducks would fare when the yard dried up. The second sign reminded me of The Coming, Michelle's autobiography, how she laid out her love for all to read, hoped, prodded, probed even, so that not only was Michelle likable, her sometimes self-censored, nerdish, cigarette-smoking husband was likable, no, lovable, too, and as a reader, you entered their love, understood no one else would probe his almost hairless chest, kiss his lips, or gyrate hips on the dance floor. I did not want to probe Obama. That's Michelle's domain. And I thought, probe on, Michelle, Obama, probe on. Well, thanks for sharing that. Carla, I was trying not to laugh and interrupt you. That was a funny poem, too. Thanks for sharing it. Thank you. Okay, take care. <laughs> yeah, Good me night. too. Good night. This is uh, Carla Schwartz with Marriage Two Signs. Um, okay, and now uh, Richard Westheimer has a prompt poem too. That might be, let me check to make sure we got everybody else too as I call Richard up. But I think he uh, is the last caller and the timing is perfect. So, Hey, Richard, glad to have you back. Yeah, thanks, Tim. Appreciate the invite. Um, boy, funny poems. Uh, that that Dylan Thomas send up just had me laughing out loud. Yeah, that good. that that one line, the donut, don't not go gentle. And I, I can't even, I can't even think of that line without laughing. That's funny. Yeah, <laughs> it was good. And yeah, one of the things I I learned tonight is is that funny is a craft. Mm-hmm. I was thinking I got no funny muscles, but the way Melissa talked about it, it it's a craft. It can yeah, be... that's true. That's a that's a really good point. That yeah, you know, you think that you're not good at stuff, which is a self fulfilling prophecy. You know, so. Yeah. Yeah, speaking of that muscle. Your (laughs) sweet baby Ray, that that got you at least five points. (laughs) So I had I had a lot a lot of trouble with this one tonight, but I I I found in a a personified trash can here. Okay, let's go uh, hear it whenever you're ready. Okay, what the trash can contains. The old trash basket stands in the corner alone, beneath the spot where the landline once hung. Mute, it remembers everything thrown in its oil-stained maw newspaper headlines, like the day after John Lennon was shot when I sang Imagine to our baby. If the can sensed I sung off-key or that Lennon was a god who decided to stop being a god, it didn't say, just like it didn't tell on me when I stuffed kid-forbidden snack wrappers under the daily refuse. Didn't judge me when I pulled a half-smoked cigarette from the creases of a greasy takeout bag three days after I quit for the umpteenth time. Didn't tell the kids when we sacked half their Halloween candy. When Grandma came over, it kept its counsel. Didn't say most of her chintzy Christmas toys broke before New Year's, wound up among the dirty diapers. If it had been up to me, I'd have dispensed with that bin long ago. I coveted one of those MoMA modern stainless steel jobs, a sleek spaceship, but it would get, it too would get scuzzy and dented. Our kids now grown when they'd come home would grouse about the change. So it will stay empty of newsprint, aging in place, and will finally leave for good when we do an apt urn for what remains of us. Uh, great poem. What the trash can contains. Thanks, Richard. That's two tonight. 
Thanks, Tim. <laughs> yeah. See you. See you soon. Bye bye. Yep, have a good one. Good night. Yeah, Richard Westheimer with a "What the Trash Can Contains" is persona poem. Uh, let me make sure we get don't miss anybody. I think that means it is Saiku time to close out the show. Now, what was my Saiku? I have to figure out what it was. Uh, my Saiku this week. Oh, I, ha- I wrote two really quick ones here. This uh, was the article. And uh, this is a, a particularly interesting article for, for poets and writers. So this was uh, Memory Details. This is from the University of uh, Birmingham. Some research into um, memory. And uh, here, I'll put it on screen kind of if you can see it. Um, memory details fade over time with only uh, the main gist preserved. And so what um, the researchers did is just study the way people remember details. And it turns out which is something that we've always kind of known and guessed about, but never quantified and and put sort of actual research into, was that people remember um, based on the uh, semantic, the meaning of um, what they remember. So if you're having like a dinner party, as the example they show, uh, a pre-COVID dinner party, you might remember what you ordered, but you wouldn't remember um, the color of the shirt or what was the centerpiece on the table. Those kind of details are the first to go is what this research showed. And, um, and so since poems are really what we're trying to do is find ways to be memorable with language, right? I mean, that's really the point of a poem is to remember it later. And so th- that shows how, how important meaning is to memorability and to the heart of what poems are. So I thought that was an interesting article. Here are my two quick little psyche about it um and i wrote the first one and wasn't really satisfied and then wrote a second one but i just thought i'd share them both because haiku were short here is the psyche for today so the psyche is uh ancient hills stripped to bare sandstone justification and that's a word justification that they made up in uh, in this article i think i never heard it before and then the other psyche semantic you almost remember what it means semantic you almost remember what it means. That is my uh, psyche about memory and the details of memory fading over time. And that is the Rattlecast for today. So glad you could join us as always. Now, before we go, let me let you know that next week's guest... Oh, wait, before we do next week's guest, I almost forgot. Uh, before we do next week's guest, next week's prompt. And here is a very simple prompt from Megan. This is uh, next week's prompt. A pivotal, a, p- <laughs> a pivotal moment in your childhood. A pivotal moment in your childhood a pivotal moment would be something very different um and interesting too but this is a pivotal moment in your childhood that is next week's prompt and uh next week's guest in the rattlecast as i'm about to say is uh, lance larson once again lance is um a poet that that we published uh, two poems for the first time this year uh, there was an excellent poem um and so i ran which was very close to winning the reader's choice award uh, kitty carpenter ended up winning uh, but but it was a great poem uh, among the finalists for last year's Rattle Poetry Prize. Uh, his uh, newest book is What the Body Knows. And uh, he has another book that he sent to. He has a poem in the current issue of Rattle, Urine Poem. And uh, just an excellent poet from Utah. We'll be talking to him on Rattlecast number 97 and uh, sharing poems about pivotal moments in our childhood. And that'll be next week at the same time. It's 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific. Hope to see you then. We'll see you for the Critique of the Week 2 on Friday, like always, in the meantime. But hope you have a good week, and I will talk to you later. Goodbye. Goodbye.